Hey, TYT, I'm Nomi Kans. We are here with our second-time guest, Yanis Varoufakis, who is, is the former finance minister of Greece, you may recall, uh, and he is the co-founder of the DM25 movement, which we'll be talking about today. And he has a new book out next to the, the adults in the room, which was a very large book that you wrote, and now you have another one. So, Well, adults in the room was the worst thing I've ever done in terms <laughs> that, uh, of, of actually being totally in pain with every word that, that I wrote. It was a very painful book to write. Right. And this was the happiest writing experience I've ever had. Hence the quick turnaround. The quick turnaround, the fact that, yeah, nine days. Na- I wrote, so the first draft first took draft. Me nine days. Because you know, I sat down, it was a stream of consciousness. Um, I didn't have a table of contents. I didn't know what, what I was going to write. I used n- no footnotes for the first time in my life, you know, no, no references, just try to imagine that I'm talking to my daughter about the economy and I'm trying to explain it in a way that would not elicit a, come on, Dad, you're being embarrassing again. So the book is called Talking to My Daughter About the Economy. Yep. What inspired you to write this? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, the deep conviction mm-hmm. that uh, uh, most folks out there have become convinced that uh, economics should be left to the economists. Uh, because it's difficult, it's, you listen to economists speak and you never understand what they say, really. Uh, but if we accept that, then democracy is dead. Hmm. Because our life is completely utterly ruled by economic decisions. So if we believe that there's such a thing as an expert to whom we defer all economic decisions, then what's the point of democracy? Hmm. Yeah, let's just not have elections anymore, let's have the experts run the economy, because the economy in the end, in the world that we live in, is everything. This is a great fallacy, it is not so, and it is the greatest uh, threat to democracy to believe that it is so. So I had to write a book in order to explain this, mm-hmm. and to show how we can all make sense of, econ- of the economy uh, uh, by simply pushing economics as a discipline totally aside, because economics is written uh, in a language whose purpose is to make that which you can perfectly well understand uh, to, and to phrase it in a way that there's no way you can understand it. Because economists understand mm-hmm. only one thing, monopoly. Hmm. So if they can convince you that you can't understand the economy, then this is a great economic profit for them. So funny, I was reading the newspaper just today before I came in and there was this one line in, in an article about, it was an advice column uh, to business leaders mm-hmm. and you know some of this entrepreneurial advice, yes. leadership advice. And one of the lines was, uh, only try to control things you can control. Like, you can't control the economy, so you shouldn't try to control the economy. So I find that fascinating, because mm-hmm. it's almost like they look at the economy as a deity, and, and yes. you know, the people have no say in this, and it's exactly what you say, it, it, it's democracy. If you think about the defeat of democracy mm-hmm. has been constructed along those lines, along the lines that uh, the economy is a machine, mm-hmm. that it's better left to the experts, the technocratization of decision making. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of 2008. Uh, financial sector collapsed. All the sins of the financiers uh, and all the burdens that they created were shifted onto the, the shoulders of the weakest of citizens. And the result is the discontent that now we can experience in the form of Donald Trump's presidency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happened even when Barack Obama uh, was sworn in? He brought in the experts mm-hmm. to fix it. Who were the experts? The very same people that had created a, 
the catastrophe in the first place. That you would never do this in engineering. If you had uh, employed an engineer to build a bridge that, is, that collapses, mm -hmm. you would never employ the same engineer to rebuild it. Uh, so we are doing something spectacularly uh, problematic when it comes to economic policy and the result is this uh, complete failure of our political system mm -hmm. to legitimize itself which is turning people away from the political system which in the end is the beginning of a kind of neo, a creeping neo-fascism. Neo-fascism. So you start with neoliberalism as a gateway drug and you lead to neo-fascism. You see, the problem with neoliberalism is that it is not a coherent economic policy. It never was. Hmm. Neoliberalism was always a facade. It was always a sermon that was being sung after the event in order to justify what was being done anyway. Hmm. So take, for instance, the unleashing of Wall Street uh, in the 1970s and then increasingly until in the 1990s it was completely unshackled from all the New Deal constraints that Roosevelt and the New Dealers had placed upon the bankers. The reason why we had this uh, liberation, emancipation of the bankers from all constraints. Remember, back in the 90s, remember, let's go back to the 1950s and 60s, mm -hmm. uh, they couldn't trade in derivatives, uh, mm -hmm. the fixed ex they, they were facing more or less fixed exchange rates, there were capital controls, so they were really shackled. Right. And that was the period of capitalism where you had the highest growth, the lowest unemployment, and the lowest inequality in the history of the world. Right. Why were they unleashed? It was not because of neoliberalism. It was because the Bretton Woods system mm -hmm. that the New Dealers had designed collapsed. And we had a new si situation where the United States economy went from being a surplus economy to being a deficit economy. And the deficit of the United States, the trade deficit, mm -hmm. was sucking into this, this country the net exports of Germany, Japan, later China. Uh, and it was financed by having the Chinese, the Japanese, the Germans send their money right. to Wall Street and the loop closed. But to do this, you needed to unshackle the bankers. Mm -hmm. And when you unshackle the bankers, you need to have a narrative, an ideology, a, a religion, if you want, an explanation as to mm -hmm. why you're doing it. And that was neoliberalism. So neoliberalism was never in economic policy, ever. But when the financial pyramids that were built on the basis of this new dynamic that has been brewing since the 1970s. It's no right. great wonder that average uh, earnings in the United States have not, has not recovered to the levels of the 1970s. When those pyramids of private money, of bets, of financial paper that dominated capitalism collapsed in 2008, what you had was the, the collapsing of the legitimacy of the political system. And slowly but steadily, we had the creeping xenophobia, racism, both here in the United States and in Europe. So, yes, yeah. the shenanigans that were covered up by a neoliberal uh, mm -hmm. political philosophy, religion if you want, led to the implosion of a system which in the end yielded something similar to the 1930s, the rise of discontent together with racism. Do you start with that when you speak to your daughter? No. Or do you end with that? No, because she would switch off immediately. <laughs> but it's good for our audience. No. Um, so, so, so I'll tell you how I start, because she yes, lives in Australia. That's, that's what I've placed down. So I start with a question. Mm -hmm. It relates to racism. Mm -hmm. She goes into a school, very, very, very sweet, nice uh, performance art school, which mm -hmm. is very pro-Aboriginal and progressive, you know, liberal in American terms. So I, I asked her the question, okay, darling, why was it that the British invaded Australia and not the Aborigines invading Britain? Hmm. 
Uh, is it because the British were cleverer? Okay, they had ships, they had armies, uh, the Aborigines never did. Mm -hmm. They didn't even have writing. Is this because the Aborigines were not as smart? So that's, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head and you have to have a kind of scientific um, economic analysis that um, explains that without any reference to differences in the DNA of the peoples of Australia, the indigenous ones, and Britain. So that's how the book begins. So let's talk about some of the things that you discuss in the book. Um, the black magic of banking. It is, isn't it? Completely black and totally magic. Most folks out there, I'm sure that this is true, uh, in your own head, believe that when you borrow money from the bank, mm -hmm. that money uh, has been deposited by somebody else. That you know, Jack deposits money in the bank and then Jill goes to the banker and gets money that the banker takes from Jack's deposits and makes a profit from the interest rate differential. Mm -hmm. huh? Not true. If you go out there, to the, to, you know, go to, in, in, to your bank uh, manager, every Big single banks, bank in the world. All banks, community banks, all banks. every bank. Yeah? You go to the bank and you ask for a loan. You get 100000 know, to to invest in a, in a restaurant, in a cafeteria, whatever, huh? or to buy a house or a car, whatever. All that happens is that the bank simply types 100,000 into your account, out of thin air. Where, did, where does the money come from? From nowhere, from thin air. Huh? And then you put your card in the ATM and suddenly you have 100,000. Then those digits appear there. Mm -hmm. that, that was simply the act of typing. And then what you do is you wire that money to the landlord from whom you buy the house or to the vendor who sold you the car or to the landlord who is renting out the space of your restaurant, your cafeteria. And those digits you know, migrate from uh, the part of the spreadsheet, which is yours, to the part of the spreadsheet that is the vendor's. That's all that happens. And what the, the bank hopes is that by affording you this opportunity, you will create a restaurant, you will um, have a car that helps you get a job, mm -hmm. and you will repay the money with interest. So it is a little bit like, this is what I'm telling my daughter in the book, uh, the banker being this uh, um, sorcerer, this magician, who has the opportunity or the capacity to put his hand through the timeline, reach into the future, grab value that has not been created yet from the future, bring it to the present, to give it to you so that you can invest it, to create the value that you need to create in order to repay the future. So it is an act of magic. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was always an act of magic. That was my next question. From antiquity. Uh, the ancient Greeks, you're Greek, you know that, mm -hmm. uh, they have a word for coin which is nomisma. Mm -hmm. That comes from, from a word that has the twin meaning of law and to believe. Mm -hmm. So it has value mm -hmm. because the law says that it does, and it has value because you believe that it does, and I believe that you believe that it does. So we have a kind of convention. That's magical, isn't it? But the reason why I think this is important, and I have devoted a chapter to this, is because if you give so much immense power to a banker, a person, any member of society, to reach into the future and grab value that has not been created yet and to bring it to the present, mm -hmm. then this person, to the extent that he is a a privateer, and usually it is a he, I'm not going to say he or she, um, who maximizes own profit, mm -hmm. why not bring a lot more value back? 
right. and a lot more valuable until at some point the present cannot produce the value that it needs to do in order to repay the future and then you have a huge crisis. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? Because the bank is not just a company, it is the mediator, the intermediary between the future and the present and the circuit, it's a bit like our blood vessels mm -hmm. um, in, in the economy, they're too big to fail. And then you and I have to... Bet. So when the, their bets pay off, their profits are theirs. When their bets fail, their losses are ours. Right. So this is pure socialism for the bankers and unfettered market forces and competition for the rest of us. And the result is an, uh, an unsustainable economy. So it, it's interesting because um, the next chapter, I believe, is... Or perhaps not, it's a couple of chapters down. Uh, you, you do discuss a new, I don't know, is it a currency? What, what would you call Bitcoin blockchain, current, cryptocurrency, I guess is the best term for it. Because um, it seems like that comes from nothing also. Uh, that's right, but that is not the criticism of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. what I'm, the, the, my description of Bitcoin right. uh, is that it is our generation's uh, version of the fantasy of apolitical money. Before digitization, we had the same fantasy mm -hmm. uh, invested in gold. Right. The idea that you, the currency must have value independently of society. Mm -hmm. So gold has value that is independent of our political process. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it comes from nature. We cannot conjure it up. Alchemy has failed <laughs> to turn dust into, uh, or lead in, into gold. So we think about it, the Great Depression, the Grapes of Wrath, mm -hmm. were the result of this uh, fantasy that we need to tie up the value of our money and the quantity of our banknotes to the quantity of gold that we have. Mm -hmm. Because if we allow this to be untied, then we allow pol the political system, the Fed, the Treasury, hmm? mm -hmm. Congress, to decide how much money there is in the economy. That is no a no-no, because money should not be political. That is a fantasy. Money will always be political. Why is that? Well, because think about 1932. Why was the Great Depression ended? Because you know, FDR yeah. took the United States out of the gold standard. He ended this, this, this fantasy mm -hmm. and he started printing dollars and put them to work, uh, as well as US treasuries, and put them to work in creating the jobs and the economic processes that will generate the value so that, yes, the quantity of money increases mm -hmm. for political reasons, because politicians decided that it needs to increase during the Great Depression, right. but at the same time you have the quantity of commodities increasing mm -hmm. and the number of jobs increasing. So the ratio between output and money mm -hmm. did not go up, so you didn't have inflation. Right. Uh, and if you hadn't done that, uh, the United States would have been a basket case after 1932, like it was between 1929 and uh, 1932. Mm -hmm. So if we don't get rid of this fantasy of apolitical money, uh, then we are, firstly, we are creating the circumstances for the next crisis, and secondly, we're denying ourselves of any instruments by which to defeat the crisis once it happens. Now, Bitcoin is nothing more than the digital version of the gold standard of this fantasy. Mm -hmm. What is the idea behind Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a technology uh, which is being utilized in order to create a currency. Mm -hmm. The technology, blockchain, uh, is an algorithm. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely brilliant. 
whoever invented it, and we don't we know don't who know. it is, it's an, he remains anonymous <laughs> under a Japanese pseudonym, mm -hmm. or she maybe, well, you never know, uh, needs to be awarded all Nobel Prizes at once. Uh, from there is one in mathematics, but you know, from physics to literature, mm -hmm. uh, because it's such a beautiful piece of you know, software design. Mm -hmm. And why is it so fantastic? Because it allows us to organize uh, lots of activities uh, without having central control, mm -hmm. where the community is effectively self-policing. The community is policing the, the community on behalf of the community. That is beautiful, mm -hmm. and I understand why Bitcoiners are so ecstatic and they become almost religious fundamentalists regarding Bitcoin, the Bitcoin technology. But the idea that you're going to build a currency on this in order to have a, a quantity of money that is determined by the algorithm independently of the political process, this is very similar to saying that you're going to tie the quantity of money to how much gold mm -hmm. you know, we can dig up from the earth. Right. Uh, and if we imagine that Bitcoin became the global currency we would go straight into a Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Because the quantity of, uh, of bitcoins is, already, is wired, hardwired into the algorithm. Mm -hmm. It increases very slowly and by 2021 at some point stops increasing. But economic activity cannot stop increasing. So if economic activity continues to expand as it should, uh, and the quantity of money is constant, you have a deflationary process. Mm. Because the correspondence between the quantity of money and the quantity of goods and services is going to be turning in such a way that now we're going to have uh, less money available per unit of output, right. which means that the prices are going to start falling. If prices start falling, we have a disaster. Mm -hmm. you, for a very simple reason, if, if the price of um, you know, coffee comes down, but all the other prices remain the same, that's, that's great for you if you drink coffee. But if all prices come down by 10% every day or every month, huh, you know that tomorrow prices will be low, lower than what they are today, constantly. Mm -hmm. Well, why buy something today if you can wait until tomorrow to buy it more cheaply? But if all of us think that way, sales collapse mm -hmm. and you have huge unemployment. This, was a, this is you know, the toxic effect of deflation. So the, the, the fantasy of apolitical money is um, highly toxic and perfectly capable of blowing up a capitalist economy uh, in a way which is terribly detrimental to the weaker members of society. If, if it's a decentralized currency, uh, Bitcoin, and you know, it's, it's not tied to any one political you know, organization or, or country. No state. No state, exactly, that's better, yeah. sure. Then, then if their goal is to make it a global currency, or I, I don't know how they would necessarily frame it. it, it that will never happen, this is all It will, it will never happen, but yeah. I mean, for the sake of argument, mm. is, I mean, is deflation even possible? Would be. Okay. If it happened, let, imagine that you know some divinity just snapped right. its fingers, and we had no other currency except Bitcoin. Right. We would go into very quickly into a massive global recession, mm -hmm. and you know, the, 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 the global order as we know it would simply be in turmoil. So, um, I believe it was Goldman Sachs this week or last week, or maybe it's Morgan Stanley. I should know this. Uh, they announced that they are going to be setting up a Bitcoin unit. Sure. Why is They're speculators. Okay. Yeah, speak. Remember tulips in yes, Holland? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Lots of <laughs> people made a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So if Goldman Sachs exists, existed back then, I'm sure it did in some form, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, it would have had every reason to have a tulip desk. Right. But that is not 
interesting. They will, they will speculate on anything that has speculative value. And look at the fluctuations in the value of Bitcoin. Uh, it, it's not, by the way, it's not a currency. Mm -hmm. Nobody's actually using it to buy and sell things. Right. No, get, no one gets their wages paid in, in, in Bitcoin. Tiny, maybe some people, maybe 10 people in Seattle, mm -hmm. I don't know. But that's not economically significant, right. macroeconomically significant. It, oh, people only buy Bitcoin because they hope that the value will go up. Mm -hmm. It's a pyramid. Yeah, exactly. So what other uh, points of wisdom have you given your daughter in this book, big important pieces of information that those who have children or <laughs> no other young people could share? Well, the, what I would like them to get out of this book, as I said before, is the, 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 the feeling that economics, not economics, that economy mm -hmm. is absolutely intertwined with everything they care for, from the way that they make ends meet, if they do, mm -hmm. to uh, theater, mm -hmm. to literature, that our best insights into how a macroeconomy works comes from Shakespeare and from uh, Sophocles, mm -hmm. not from economics textbooks. And the cosmic drama that unfolds every day in capitalism mm -hmm. between forces that are clashing uh, behind our backs, shaping our lives. Mm -hmm. So let me give you a couple of examples of this. Take the labor contract. Mm -hmm. The labor contract is a bit of a tug of war between the worker and the employer. The employer would like to pay less right. uh, and extract more work from the worker. That's not, that's not true. Mm -hmm. you can, you, this is not a criticism, it's a fact. Mm -hmm. uh, but suppose that, um, again, you have a divinity, snaps the, its fingers on behalf of all employers. And imagine, therefore, that all uh, workers are immediately uh, brainwashed to want to work very hard for no money at all. Mm -hmm except for you know, some sustenance that goes into their veins through some machine. Mm -hmm. yeah, let's create a dystopia, matrix -like, a matrix-like yeah. <laughs> uh, dystopia. Yeah. Capitalism would collapse. Because the dream of every employer, which is maximum output by the workers for a minimum wage, means that they will, nobody will be able to afford their, their output, mm. their products. Mm -hmm. So you have a capitalist system which is trying to squeeze more work and productivity mm -hmm. out of workers at lower and lower wages. And the more it succeeds in doing that, the greater it crisis that it has. Uh, this is a bit like you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Frankenstein was a good man. He was trying to defeat death. His wife had just died and he, he just hated the idea of that he wanted to bring her back. He wanted to stop people from suffering death. So the result is he put all his effort and his science mm -hmm. into creating the thing, which then killed him. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at um, Sophocles, for instance, the Oedipus myth, hmm. uh, the only reason why Oedipus is an interesting, interesting story is because his father was, was told by the oracle that his son, Oedipus, if he was allowed to grow up, would, you know, in the end, would murder him. Okay. So he tries to murder the little baby. He actually gives him on to a shepherd and says, take him out of the woods and kill him. The shepherd cannot bring himself to, to do it. Mm -hmm. So he, in the end, this little child grows up in a royal family in Corinth. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't know that he's uh, the, the son of the king of Thebes. So he's now traveling around Greece and he encounters his father and there is, there is the first incident in the history of humanity of road rage 
And <laughs> so they, they fight as to who has the right to way. He kills his dad. The only reason is because his dad was fearing his death. So think about investors today. They are fearful of investing in good quality jobs because they fear that the, the, the demand will not be there for the products of these quality working processes. Mm -hmm. So they don't invest. And because they, of the fear, their prognostication, their dire prognostications are confirmed, just like Oedipus's father. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to, to, to do with this book is to, to say, forget economics. Economics is written in a way that can make your, your brain hurt without any benefits, because you will not, by understanding economics, you will not understand the economy. But try to think about economic issues and use whatever resources you have at your disposal, whether it is your exposure to sport, to drama, to poetry, in order to do this, because otherwise our democracies are in peril. Well, the book is called Talking to My Daughter About the Economy or How Capitalism Works and How It Fails by Yanis Varoufakis. But I do want to talk to you about the Democracy in Europe movement, because uh, last time you were in New York and we, we had a chance to have a conversation, uh, you were gearing up for the launch, and now you have launched. So what is, what is Diem 25? Well, Diem is an attempt mm -hmm. to bring Europeans together and to do something that we have not done in the last eight years of a ma majestic, horrible crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, to ask the question, okay, we have a systemic European crisis. How can we ad address it systematically as Europeans? Uh, you would have thought that this is the first question that we should have asked. Well, it's, it's one that we still, not, still have not asked. The European Commission, the European Parliament, uh, European governments have never asked this question. They ask themselves, you know, uh, trivial questions such as, what are we going to do with the, with the Italian banks? Right. What are we going to do about the Greek public debt? What are we going to do about interest rates in Germany? But nobody has looked at this as a systemic crisis in need of a system, systematic solution. Mm -hmm. uh, and until we do this and we engage Europeans uh, independently whether they're German, Greek, Dutch, mm -hmm. Portuguese, uh, since we are in this together, we have to bind together and create a political force that contests the European Parliament elections next year, in May 2019, mm -hmm. and starts changing the debate in Europe so that we face up to the problem that we have as Europeans. What are the, um, the, the estimates? I mean, if, if this goes as, prop, as, as planned, do you have target goals? What percentage of Parliament do you expect to win over time? Is it scalable? No, we don't, because this is not the important thing. Okay. And in any case, uh, we are Democrats. We believe that our job and duty mm -hmm. is to put together a credible, moderate, but at the same time uh, uncompromising agenda, policy agenda, mm -hmm. similar to what FDR did in 1933 here in this country. We That's call it moderate the... in Europe. <laughs> Well, <laughs> that's radical in the US. But so the, it's important. But, but to you say. know, the United States would not have existed the right. way it is today. It would not have survived the very strong. Even in 2008, mm -hmm. the great shock absorbers of this country that kept you from suffering a great depression like the one we have in Greece today, right. where all the uh, institutions created by FDR and the New Deal. Mm -hmm. uh, so. Yes, he was quite radical at the time, but at the same time, he was not exactly a communist or a lefty. He was a patrician who understood that the only way of um, ensuring that capitalism that does not collapse completely mm -hmm. is by shoring it up. Right. So we are, ha we are putting together a policy framework. We call it the European New Deal. Surprise, surprise. Actually, the European Green New Deal. 
to be more precise, because we live in in the era of climate change and the terrible, terrible prospects for our planet. And what we care about is putting this to Europeans and saying to them, look, there is an alternative. Here it is, we will explain it to you. If you want to vote for it, great. If you don't want to vote for it, great again. We are Democrats, we don't believe that we have all the answers. Uh, but we want to change the debate. We, we want to end this cacophony, this uh, um, noise, which only benefits the xenophobes, the racists, the disintegrationists, those, those who want to disintegrate Europe uh, and embark upon a nationalist campaign in uh, their own little fiefdoms. Uh, if we manage to do that, we'll be very happy. And we also think that you know, success is best looked at as a symptom of your efforts, not as the main aim. Mm -hmm. Our aim is to change the debate and to democratize the dialogue. So for, for those who aren't following the intricacies of, of EU politics in each of these countries that do have far-right movements, I mean, we, we, we see it in countries that we never thought this would ever happen again. Um, what, I mean, we hear the noise, but in numbers, I mean, has the far-right really taken that much power? Absolutely. What, what, do you know that as we speak, the police minister in Austria is a Nazi or no. a neo-Nazi? There is a coalition government between the right and the ultra-right. And the police minister and the minister who is responsible for the intelligence services of Austria mm -hmm. is somebody who comes out of a party set up by Nazis. So it's not it, this is not speculation. Right. Uh, we have in Germany the two major parties of the center-left and the center-right, the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats. Together they used to control 80-85% mm -hmm. of uh, parliament. Now that has come down to 51. And for the first time in the post-war history of Germany, we have a neo-fascist party, the Alternative for Deutschland, which went from zero to 13%. And today, it is polling near 20%. So this is happening as we speak. France, everybody in this country celebrates Emmanuel Macron, and they do well to be happy that he is president, Marine Le Pen, mm -hmm. his adversary in the presidential election, lost. She's a neo-fascist, right. clearly so. She got 35% of the vote. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad she didn't win, but are we going to celebrate that the neo-fascists got 35% of the vote in a country where 12 million voters did not even bother to vote? Huh? Uh, now, look at Italy. Italy now is going to have a government which is uh, going to be um, effectively a coalition between the, five, the Cinque Stelle movement, which is a, a populist um, reactionary movement in the sense that they reacted against the, uh, the political establishment. They have some good ideas about this, that and the other, but at the same time they are very xenophobic. Mm. They, are, um, they want to build walls like Donald Trump in this country. And the major coalition partner of them is a, a party called the Lega, the League, mm -hmm. uh, which is outright uh, yeah, neo-fascist and, and, and racist uh, and they have a effectively hate speech is their main political uh, narrative. Um, wherever you go in Europe, look at Hungary, mm -hmm. look at Poland. Uh, but just on the opposite side, the opposite side of the same coin, uh, we are very um, pleased with the response to our movement. Uh, we now have a, 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 a coalition mm -hmm. 
which is functioning. We have a common manifesto that, we, that is being that is going to be launched in in June, with a very clear policy. We have, uh, as part of the, this coalition, the, a new political party in France, led by Benoit Hamon, who was the Socialist Party's mm -hmm. candidate last time around, uh, together with the French Greens, uh, together with other organizations and groupings in France. We have uh, the Danish party, the Alternative, which is the third largest party in Denmark. They are part of our coalition now. Uh, they're very weird and very wonderful. A uh, combination of uh, you know, young people, uh, very computer savvy and you know into uh, the, the various uh, uh, autonomous uh, collectives and uh, green transition ecological politics. Mm -hmm. We have uh, the mayor of Napoli, Luigi de Magistris, who fought the Camorra and mm -hmm. survived mm -hmm. and became the mayor of, uh, of, that, of that splendid city. Um, we are setting up a joint party with him in Italy. Uh, we have um, a political party in Portugal called Livre. Mm -hmm. uh, we set up a new political party on the 26th of Mar March in Greece called Mera, which means day. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so we're moving, yeah. we're moving ahead. This coalition is going to be called the European Spring, and we're going to contest the European Parliament elections in May 2019. It's very exciting, and we're looking to you for fighting off uh, this movement because it's happening here as well. Different political system here, clearly, but um, you know it's dangerous. I saw Donald Trump today get on stage just before our interview, and he did a press conference about pharmaceutical costs, mm -hmm. and it was the script was literally taken from Bernie Sanders' website, and then he went on to say, you know, some politicians talk about this all the time, but I'm going to do something about it. They're co-opting a lot of the good populism. But that's what fascists always do. And that's did. what fascists do, exactly. Yeah, Mussolini was were always that's talking the about the language of protecting workers. Right. Uh, I, I listened to, to the Donald today. <laughs> it was very interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. This country desperately needs uh, something to be done regarding healthcare mm -hmm. and uh, especially from a pharmaceutical uh, expenditure. Uh, your your um, uh, medical industrial complex is almost as much of a threat as the military industrial complex in the sense that they are sponging off the American people uh, and in a way that it is very dangerous to uh, health standards in this country. You have very low health standards and twice the expenditure that you should have compared to uh, other systems in Europe that, provide, that, that produce much better health outcomes. So it is completely right to say that the American president, the president of the United States, should do something about pharmaceutical prices. But is he going to allow Medicare to bargain directly with the pharmaceutical companies? No. Is he going to do anything? So that's what he does. He takes the Bernie Sanders um, uh, sentiment, mm -hmm. takes out of it all the policies that would hurt those who are responsible for the, ex the huge expense of healthcare, and combines uh, th these two in a way that is not possible, for, uh, tangible in, a, in, in any way, for political purposes. And he does a very good job because there is no opposition. The Democratic Party is, just doesn't exist. You don't have to tell me that. <laughs> Yanis Varoufakis, thank you so much. We're going to be watching very closely the elections and cheering you on, and hopefully you'll be doing the same for us. And maybe Absolutely. someday we'll have a transcontinental partnership of some sort. We need an international New Deal uh, where American progressives and European progressives lead the rest of the world.